Welcome to Jewelry Making Tips with Metalsmith Society, the ultimate podcast for anyone passionate about the art of jewelry making. I'm your host, Corky Bolton. Metalsmith Society is a community on Instagram that has over 240,000 individuals, from professional jewelers to small business artisans, hobbyists, students, and even those curious looky-loos eager to learn about jewelry making. Together, we share tips, kindness, and support. In this podcast, I will discuss tips from the Instagram page, provide deeper insights, address questions, and share bonus tips that often surface in the comments section. So whether you've been making jewelry for a while or you're just starting your jewelry making journey, this podcast is your go-to resource for all the jewelry making tips. So grab your tools, dust off your workbench, and join me. Today, I will be discussing three recent tips that we shared on Metalsmith Society so I can provide additional information. And I also took a deep dive into the comments section, which can be a scary place, if I'm honest, but for the most part is filled with kindness, support, and really interesting questions. So the first post I'm going to take a look at was shared last week. And it was a reel that I created showing off four uses of Japanese finger guards. So I wanted to tell you a little bit more about this product. They are made in Japan. And the full name is actually Japanese rubber leather finger guards, which is kind of a mouthful. But that's because there are actual particles of leather embedded in the rubber. Pretty cool. They come in three different sizes. C is the biggest. A is the smallest. And there's also a B in the middle. I have small hands, and I use the B for my thumbs and the A size for my pointer finger. Getting the right sizes is important because you want them to fit snugly. The Japanese finger guards are available from Pepe Tools, and full disclosure, the post itself was sponsored. So Pepe Tools provided support to Metalsmith Society so I could continue to share free educational content. So thank you, Pepe. Okay, the post had four uses. The first, protecting your fingers while you use the flex shaft. So what I do is I place these finger guards on my pointer and my thumb on the hand that's holding the jewelry. And that way, when I'm using a sanding disc, when I'm using an abrasive bit of some sort, I'm not actually grinding into the skin on my fingers or my fingernails. You know, shout outs to the jewelers in our community that have gorgeous manicures. It is possible to have beautiful nails and make jewelry, but you're going to have to utilize something like these finger guards so that the abrasives aren't constantly and your hand files aren't constantly grinding and, you know, sawing into your gorgeous nails. Now, the second way that I share about them is probably how I use it the most often. In my studio, I have plastic board, which I've placed 3M abrasive film onto which has an adhesive back it's so super long lasting i've been using it for years without having to replace it and so what i do is when i'm grinding these really tiny components and i'm sanding away on this flat board i use these finger gloves because otherwise i will be sanding away the skin on my finger and my nails again it sounds a little gruesome but if you're here and you're a jeweler i'm sure you can relate The next way I showed them off was protecting your fingers if you're grinding against sander. I have a small tabletop sander that I shared about in this particular video. And by holding the ring that I'm grinding, the finger guards are providing a little bit of heat protection. And it's once again protecting my fingers from accidentally touching 
you know, the belt sander because the smaller pieces are, the more likely we can make contact our hands against the abrasive. And the last way I shared about them is patinaing. Perhaps you want to hold something as you paint on patina. These can certainly be a barrier between your skin and that chemical. Perhaps if you're dipping something into patina, be sure once you do that, you rinse the guards with some baking soda and soap. Some patinas require neutralizing and baking soda. And so between that and the soap, you'll be good. So now let's take a look at the comments section. There were over 200 comments on this post, but since I used ManyChat for this particular post, most of the comments were people requesting I send them a link to purchase. I'm not going to get into ManyChat on this particular episode, but if that's something that you would like for me to cover, please shoot me a DM over at Metal Smith Society on Instagram. One of the comments I want to talk about is another tip popped up in this video, which some folks asked about, and that was the brush I was using to apply the patina, which brings me actually right into the next tip I want to share about. The second tip I'll be covering today was sent in by at Sunlight Silver, and it's a tip that we've shared many times over the years by many different artists, so thank you to everyone who shared this. I'm not always able to mention every single person that ever shared a tip, but please know I see you and I appreciate you. This tip is to fill a reusable watercolor brush with patina to be able to paint it on with control. Now, I've personally used this tip many times with the same Jax brand patina used in this video, and I tend to dump the unused patina back into the bottle once I'm done for the day because I don't use it super frequently and I found that the patina over time can lose its potency a bit. Let's look into the comments section. Someone asked what abrasives were used to apply the satin finish in the video. I think that's a great question. And graciously, Sunlight Silver shared they're called abrasive mini fiber wheels. They're extra fine and they're available from Rio Grande. And she even included the item number, which is 338123. And I can include that in the show notes today. Another comment I wanted to share was from at CJS Shop. They shared that they use a children's medicine syringe to fill the watercolor brush. I thought that was genius, and if anyone needs one, I have about 40 of them in my house right now with all these winter sicknesses going on. At Inventive Intent suggests a pipette to fill it. A pipette is a type of laboratory tool commonly used in chemistry and biology to transport a measured volume of liquid. They're very inexpensive, and they can be made out of plastic, and you can just use them to move small amounts of liquid. So those solutions sound fantastic. Someone commented, why not just use a brush? Now, I'm not saying they're a hater because this is a legitimate question, but as someone who's done both, both painted on with a brush and used the watercolor brush, I am here to defend the watercolor brush because while it does take a second to get the patina in there, once you have it ready to go, you can patina an entire collection of work quickly and with no mess. However, this technique might not make sense if you are applying patina to just one piece. And so, by all means, a brush is a fantastic idea. You can get a little fine pointed brush and make sure that you only get the patina into the fine details. So I appreciate the comment. There were also some comments about pieces turning a rusty color. It's hard for me to know without seeing each piece, but I wonder if some people are just experiencing tarnish on their sterling silver or just the way that patinas do change over time. So a wax 
like the resistance wax that we've shared on the page before, can help maintain your patina over time and protect it. You can also let your customers know not to wear silver jewelry in chlorine or bromine as this will definitely tarnish their jewelry. The final tip I wanted to talk about was shared by Jewelry Teacher at Make It With Kim. It's an image of silver bezels that she has cut using patterned craft scissors. And she goes on to mention in the caption, these are cheap patterned craft scissors. It should be mentioned up front that Kim used fine silver bezel wire that was 28 gauge or 0.3 millimeter, which is super soft and easier to cut. If anyone has success with other metals or gauges, please feel free to comment on the post. Would love to hear from you. So here's what I found in the comments section. At Casey Enamelist mentioned these same scissors can be used for cutting silver foil used in enameling. You could also use them to cut gold foil for kombu. I think that's a fantastic idea. There were a few comments on cheap scissors like this not even working on thick paper, and Kim gave an interesting response, and I appreciate that she took the time to answer people's questions. She said that the rigidity of the bezel wire is what helps them cut, that a thick paper is almost too soft sometimes for these scissors to cut through. She then mentioned how disc cutters work better when your metal is hardened, and truthfully, I've never heard that, and it absolutely makes sense. So thank you for teaching me something, Kim. That's what I love about this community. So again, if you haven't already joined us by following Metalsmith Society on Instagram, you will find all the videos I discussed today and thousands more jewelry making tips. I want to close this out by mentioning a few ways you can support Metalsmith Society. The new 2024 Metalsmith Society design is now available in my online shop, which I'll link in the show notes, along with affiliate links to some of the tools mentioned in today's episode. Support of these links helps support the page. Be sure to check out my book, Metalsmith Society's Guide to Jewelry Making. It's available everywhere from your local bookstore to online. And if you like the podcast and want to hear more, leave me a five-star review so others can discover it. Thanks for joining me today. See you next time.